Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now, thank you so much, called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year, and each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less, because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com and definitely check out those shows as well. Isaac Fitzgerald is the author of Dirtbag Massachusetts, a confessional. Isaac is the New York Times bestselling author of Dirtbag Massachusetts. He appears frequently on the Today Show and is also the author of the bestselling children's book, How to Be a Pirate, as well as the co-author of Pen and Ink, Tattoos and, Story- and the Stories Behind Them. Also, Knives and Ink, Chefs and the Stories Behind Their Tattoos. His writing has appeared in the New York Times, The Atlantic, Esquire, The Guardian, The Best American, Non-Required Reading, and numerous other publications. He lives in Brooklyn. Welcome, Isaac. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Dirtbag, Massachusetts, a confessional. Thank you so much for having me on. 
Oh, it's my pleasure. Okay. Your book has gotten so much press. You must be so excited. It's like, I tell me what that has been like. And then I want you to tell listeners more what it's about and all that. But first, yeah. just the the, pre, the preface. Absolutely. Well, um, you know, for me, it has been a wild year. And I feel extremely grateful for that. Publishing, as we know, can be a real topsy-turvy world. Uh, and I've, I've had different jobs in it for quite some time in the publishing industry. So I really try to go in with low expectations. That's kind of a philosophy in all of life. I try to, you know, keep set the bar low and then if things go better than that. It's kind of exciting. And so with the launch of this book, you know, it really came down to I was just thrilled for it to be out in the world and to find the right readers and the readers that could connect with it. Um, but I never expected for that to be such a large number of readers or for so many people to connect with this book in such a major way. And so the last six months, I've been on the road a lot. So it's been difficult. It's been hard. There's, you know, it's it's something that I really love doing is traveling. But like once you're doing it for a long, long <laughs> time, it starts to get a little road ragged, uh, as I would say. But overall, it's just been like such a phenomenal experience. So while we come to the end of the year, I'm happy to take a little bit of a rest, but I'm really grateful for everything that happened. Do you feel like the reception of it was different in Massachusetts? Oh, that's a great question. You know, the book is kind of sneakily about California and a few other places. Mm -hmm. So like, I definitely got love from, from different parts of the country. I would say, if anything, this might get me in a little trouble, but the <laughs> Massachusetts reaction and New England reaction was very in line with what I was expecting, which was uh, a healthy bit of skepticism. Mm -hmm. But luckily, I'd like to think I, I won some readers over. But, you know, coming from New England, there's a little bit of a, like, let's keep it buttoned up. You know, we don't talk about that kind of stuff. Um, but luckily, I found, especially for me, I would say, like, the largest supporting group were independent booksellers. And so the independent booksellers, uh, not just in Massachusetts, but throughout New England, I was able to go to, like, a conference center that or a conference that they had last year. Um, and they just really turned up the support. And so I really, you know, and that stuff matters. It's such a, it's like I said, it's such a topsy-turvy game. So like, you know, the fact that they were putting it in the windows and that they read it and really loved it is how I think it found its audience in that area. That's awesome. I'm opening an indie bookstore. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. When, when, where? In Santa Monica in February. That's yeah. wonderful. Congratulations. And I'll have to come visit. That's You'll so have to come visit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I listen, I'm a big... I mean, obviously, it goes without saying we all love independent bookstores, but right now, especially, it feels like there's this real turn into like, not only do they function as, you know, spaces for authors to come and interact with the community, but they actually are community centers themselves. Yes. Yep. And I think that's so important. And then the other part of it is I think after, you know, many, many years of, oh, you know, this algorithm recommends this or... Uh, this is the best of list or this or that. Like, I really feel this year, what I saw a lot of was, was, was people in local communities really trusting their independent booksellers, mm -hmm. the right book in the right hands. And so that's, if there's another one in Santa Monica, like a new, new independent bookstore, that makes me really happy. So Thank congrats. You. Thank you. And we're actually going to do shelves that are author curated. So it would be like your five or 10 favorite books or something like that. That's yeah. such a great idea. And, you know, not to, I'm sure you've got a lot of folks, but I would love if to. If you would love to do, if you want to do one, we would love it. That, would, that would make me so, so. We're actually a little low on men. <laughs> Sign me up. Okay. This. It's, it's right here. It's official. I'm okay, in. great. All right. <laughs> okay, back to your book. So your whole memoir, why did you write it? 
why did you want to share it? Which pieces of this were you like, I have to get this out. I want people to know X, Y, or Z. Well, so the kind of funny story here is that for many, many years, I said I was never going to write about my childhood. I was very interested. I've always loved books. I grew up with a huge love of reading and I really do have my parents to thank for that. And I knew that I like, you know, writing was something It took me a while. I'm not one of those folks that was like really gifted with it. I, I really, my approach to it was much more craft, work, 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 practice, practice, practice. And over the years get better and better and better. But for the longest time in my twenties, especially like I would, I would meet you at a party. We would talk. I was very open about my past. I would tell some stories and every once in a while, somebody would say, oh, well, you should really. And I, I was always just kind of, like, ah, you know. So this book, when it sold, was actually supposed to be a bit more of just like pop culture commentary, a little like a sprinkling of my own stuff. But the book that I compare it to is and the book that inspired it. And, and she's a good friend of mine. But Roxanne Gay's Bad Feminist, mm-hmm. like incredibly powerful essays, but like, you know, very separate come from a lot of things that she'd written in the past, which which I did as well in Dirtbag. But so that was my setup, was that kind of approach. And then as I sat down to write it, basically a year went by and I was really <laughs> struggling. Let's be very clear about this. This book missed deadline many, many times. <laughs> and so one of the problems was I would try to start writing about this idea that I had and all of a sudden I'd have seven paragraphs about my father or seven paragraphs about something in childhood. And I kept trying to push that aside, push it aside, focus on the thing. And that's kind of when it started to dawn on me that maybe, and you know, obviously not an original thought here, but it takes things, it takes life to learn things. But maybe the things that I don't want to talk about, the things that I'm trying to kind of turn away from, that might actually be where the interesting stories are. So after No Lie, it was a year that I said, and then basically another six months passed, about 18 months I called my editor at Bloomsbury, Nancy Miller, wonderful woman. And I said, I think this book might be a little bit more about my childhood than I expected it to be. And Nancy said, yeah, I've been waiting about 18 months for you to figure that out. <laughs> but then, and then that's when a lot of things really clicked into place for me. And, you know, the themes that came out of this book were not the themes that I was trying to get into when I started this project or when I saw the the the, uh, the proposal, it really did have a lot more to do with community, family, faith than I expected it to at all. So it really, I wish I could sit here and tell you that I had this perfect idea and I knew exactly what I was trying to, to put out in the world and, and how to like figure out how to get readers to connect with these stories. But it really was a lot of fumbling in the dark. And then to be really, I mean, I'm sure many people can relate to this as well, but like, and then kind of almost overworking it and like not being willing to let it go because there was almost this fear of sharing these deeply personal stories in the world. But luckily I have a lot of people in my life who are really caring and really patient and who gave me some really great feedback and some really great help with edits and things like that. And eventually the book got to this place where I was willing to let it go. I mean, I'm glad that you didn't say it was easy and you just like cranked it out and there it was in perfection. I mean, I think your experience is more reflective of the pain involved in writing a memoir and how hard it is to write the stuff that scares you. No, and that, and that's it's something I'm so, so grateful for because if I'd written this book when I was 25, one, 
my writing, it would have been a lot worse. Um, but, but two, and, and I would argue much more importantly, it would be this book that's kind of like, my parents are the worst. Like the world is mean and hard. And like having written it 10 years later, I'm so grateful and, and, and thankful for the kind of introspection, kind of the maturity, you know, the growing up that I did in that time that allowed me to realize like, okay, my parents were having a difficult time. Yes, some of their choices were not fantastic. But now that I'm that same age, can I not see that not all adults have everything figured out? And it's sometimes we make very, very big mistakes and that's okay. So I am, I'm really happy that it, in a weird way, that it took me as long as it did to, to get down on the page. I could feel some of that perspective too when you were like, well, it made sense why we would leave the city. It should have been pretty and easy and a nicer life. Like they wouldn't have known that it would be so horrific. And maybe they could get over the fact that we were moving back to my mom's town where her mother like can stand her or whatever. <laughs> like no, no, that's absolutely right. And 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 just for those that are that are listening who are like, what is happening? What is this book even about? I can do a quick yeah, there we go. Yes. I shouldn't have so, I should have gone no, back. No, no, to no, that. that's all right. You asked it early and I kind of missed it. Uh but but it's it's Dirtbag Massachusetts. It's a collection of essays, but there really is through line and I try to build kind of an overarching story. And and one could almost call it episodic. It it doesn't like it doesn't. It, you're moving through my life for the most part. Some scenes are kind of jumping around in time, um, and and it starts very early on. But but the the kind of elevator pitch I can give is it's how my family kind of exploded apart, and then in a very new shape, eventually over years and years and years came back together and and a, a part of that explosion a part of the the beginning of that is we grew up in inner city boston um involved with a catholic worker which is kind of this it's started by dorothy day it's the socialist catholic very grassroots you know give your shirt uh to your neighbor type situation for the unhoused and, and my family was unhoused and so we, i grew up in the catholic worker in this kind of beautiful vibrant um but on paper you're like oh kids in 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 a living situation for the unhoused that's got to be really hard those were actually some of the best years of my life in the inner city and then my parents make the decision to go out to rural massachusetts and like like you were just saying on paper again that should be like oh you're going to the country you're going to have a yard but actually things became much much worse so the, the 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 book goes from there and kind of the reactions i have in my 20s trying to pretend like my childhood is in the past and not affecting me at all, realizing that actually a lot of the trauma I experienced was making me make some very, very bad, or I don't even want to say bad, but sometimes difficult, sometimes hurtful to myself or to those around me decisions. So that's the that's the concept of Dirtbag Massachusetts. And you should know it's Dirtbag, comma, Massachusetts, uh, in name of this town that I lived in my teenage years. It was called Athol, Massachusetts. I'll give you one guess what everyone else in the state called Athol, Massachusetts. <laughs> Uh, and it turns out you can't call a book that. So, uh, <laughs> did you try? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I talked about it with them, but I, I a real shout out here because I think it's important. They basically and it, it's it's smart. You can. Let's be honest. Technically, of course, you can. But it makes it hard to promote in any kind of way. It makes it really hard to search for. Um, so they're like, hey, that's not a great idea. And um, Jason Diamond, who's a wonderful author and a very good friend of mine, I'm very lucky. I was kind of just offhandedly telling him that he didn't miss a beat. He didn't just immediately just turn to me and was like, you should call it Dirtbag Massachusetts. And and it was him. It was him. Like, it's a great title. And I just full shout out. It all came from Jason Diamond. 
Amazing. I feel like you reached, there was such a turning point in your life before and after you went to boarding school. And it almost seemed very unlikely, given the narrative, that that's where you would end up for high school. And can you just talk a little bit about that? And like, what would have happened had you not gone? Do you ever think, was this like your sliding doors moment or... Yeah, no, I listen, I think I think I think all of us as human beings have a million sliding door moments all the time. And if one thinks too much about it, you could do nothing but stare at the ceiling and wonder. But that was a big one for me, for sure. You're absolutely right. So after we move out uh, to the country, things get really tough for my parents. And I also then grow a little older. And let's be honest, so around the age 12, I myself then become very difficult kind of reacting to the years before and, and the experiences around me. And what was lucky is that I was at a school, public school, wonderful school, where the teachers, librarians, secretaries kind of saw, they could tell, they could tell that there's trouble at home, but they could also tell that if there was a situation where I was given a chance, I might be able to secede academically because as much trouble as I was getting in school, I always made sure that my work was getting done, that my grades were up. And so, so I got a full scholarship to this boarding school and it really, you know, before that I had no interest or, or interest isn't even the right word, like dream of going to college. And, and I just, I felt like a very straight, straight path and I probably would have stuck around um, the area that I lived, where I want to be very clear. There's a really strong community there. It's a really beautiful part of the state. It is still a very low income part of the state, but we're talking about a low income part of a very rich state. So that's, you know, I talk about class and and how kind of these poor communities and very wealthy communities really bump right up against each other in the book. And that's always going to be something that fascinates me. But it, I, I do, I always want to give a shout out because that area is beautiful and does have such a strong community but I think myself and what I was going through at the time, I would have been on a self-destructive path in that area. And what boarding school gave me was this chance to get out of my house and get away from a few of my bad habits. Now, don't let's be very clear. No matter where you go, there you are. So I, I still was getting into <laughs> a ton of trouble. But I think the, the the biggest gift that the boarding school gave me, not, you know, of course, education and this, this ability to then get a scholarship for college. But I was there for four years. And the the the, the biggest thing it did was ex- just expand my horizons. I'd barely been out of the state at that point in my life. And here was a school where a lot of kids came from not just all over the country, but internationally as well. And all of a sudden, my world opened up in all of these incredible ways. Um, so I am I'm I'm it's funny because they, don't get me wrong. If you talk to me when I was probably 15, 16, there's a lot I would have complained about, but, <laughs> but I do, I really recognize what those teachers, secretaries and and librarians at my public school did for me in helping me achieve that. And, and then I understand what that school did in terms of broadening my horizons. And I, I think if, if I had stuck around a lot, like, again, a lot of my friends who did stick around have incredible stories themselves in whether they stay in the community and the way they help shape that community now, or in my best friend growing up ends up going to West Point. We're still best friends to this day. We've lived very, very different lives at this point. Um, But, you know, there are these wonderful stories out of that area. But I think myself, I was so drawn to the self-destructive path that I was on that I, 
I'd like to think I would have figured it out. I want to give myself that grace. I want to, I want to, to believe that I still could have figured things out, but I think it would have been a much harder journey. Interesting. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com You also wrote really openly about your body and your weight and the different fluctuations. And you even included a photo of like, oh, wow, look at what I looked like then. I can't even believe it, Um, (laughs) which was lovely. Thank you. (laughs) Um, And I, I just feel like we don't get enough of that. I mean, of the thousand books that a woman might discuss her body, there might be one. I feel like that's maybe the percentage or I don't know, I made that up, but talk to me about sharing all that, what you feel about it and what the response has been to, to your relationship with your own weight and body. Well, so that, so that essay that you're mentioning is probably one of the original. So like I said, a lot of this is new material, but some of it are pulled from these older essays that I published. Now, again, I, I reshaped them and, yep. and made it so that it ran with a smoother narrative within the collection. But that I believe is probably the oldest essay in the book. And uh, just speaking for myself, not speaking for any other readers, but what what really sticks with me is is how that essay is still as relevant to me today mm-hmm. as it was when I originally published it. And I think that is that is I it's 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 an essay that a lot of people connect with. It's probably one of the essays that I get written about the most from from all sorts of different folks. And I, I think that's, I mean, I just think, I think it's like one of the fundamental, sorry, my philosophy major kind of is jumping out here a little bit, but I think one of the fundamentals of the human experience is how do we feel at peace in our own bodies? How do we feel love for our own bodies or like even like like just not itchy in 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 our own skin to try and find peace and then the tough thing that i mentioned in the essays you will have these moments of like oh this is it this i feel i look good i feel good i love myself and then a day two days later 
all of a sudden it can all, and you're just like, oh, and it, <laughs> and it, and it can, and it can all come kind of come apart. And I try to capture that in this essay. But for me, when I first published that essay, I remember being a bit scared again, putting it out into the world. But I knew that it's almost, it's not like I knew, but like I had, I basically had a theory from talking to so many people at that point in my life, I was at least probably 30 and I was starting to figure out, wait a second, I'm not the only person. And actually it's not even small. Like I think my theory is it might just be almost everyone that grapples with this. And when I put it out into the world, the, the feedback I got really, really showed that to be true. So that is why body image issues, I think, are going to be something that I'm always trying to write about. And I do, you know, just to speak on it, I, I think it's something that men should feel. And I think we're seeing way more of it now, way more of it. But but a lot, a lot of acceptance in themselves to feel okay sharing these different kinds of, of thoughts. Because you just, you just, the more people are talking about it, the less alone other people will feel with it. And I, I think for a long time, there was this feeling of, hey, we don't talk about that kind of stuff. Like, just either hit the gym or don't, but like, don't talk about it. <laughs> so I just really, I'm, I'm, I'm excited, I think, as I get older, as a reader, that I'm seeing more and more of it out there in the world. Uh, the first essay I ever published, I was 14 and I wrote about what it had felt like to gain 20 pounds, like the year my parents got divorced. And I wrote it in Seventeen Magazine, you know, not exactly your caliber of place no, to publish. But, you know. And you were 14. I don't even, I don't look at that. That doesn't, <laughs> hang on a second. The, the math is a math, but no, that's amazing. Keep going. No, no. But like you, like I got so many letters to the magazine. I feel like that's the only reason why I've like kept writing for however many years I'm 46. So the people are so desperate, I feel, to feel seen. Desperate sounds negative. Eager. People are just so eager because of all the interior conversations just to feel like, oh gosh, thank God someone said something that I feel and don't say. So, And again, I think it helps you move through the world in a more loving manner mm -hmm. because all of a sudden you recognize that, okay, yeah, you've got this rough, these rough voices in your head, but then you I, wait, it's kind of, so does everybody else and mm -hmm. everyone's kind of dealing with this. I love that. Can I ask, did you just submit it to, sorry, now I promise not to turn the No, interview. no, it's okay. Did you, did you just submit it to them? Did you, did you have somebody, you knew somebody there? Like, I did not know anybody there. I was, I actually, so my mother is on the nosier side of things. Anyway, I wrote it my, I used to write all the time. And so I wrote it da, 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 and I printed it to go grab, but my mother somehow intercepted it off the couch and, and read it before I could, you know, not in front of me and then came into my room holding it and was like, Oh, you know, you have to send this to a magazine. I bet this will help other girls. And I was like, what, why would I do that? I didn't want you to read it. And she's like, no, I really think it could help people. So we, together, we sat there and opened it up and found the address and like mailed it in. And then they took it. I know it was so amazing. I couldn't believe it. Then they had me go to the office. I had to like pose with the scale. They like, <laughs> like waxed my eyebrows off. I was like, this is terrible. Like what are we doing uh, that, here? They were doing that a lot back then. Yeah. Anyway. So, um, yeah, it was, it was pretty exciting. Yeah. No, again, and again, I'm sure there's all sorts of different levels to that story and, and to your, your mom and that relationship as well. <laughs> what a brave thing to do. And at such a, a young age and, and then also to get that feedback not just, you know, not just like this kind of thin, like, oh, yeah, you did a good job, but to actually have readers write letters that were meaningful and that you felt that kind of connection. So it's no wonder 
you then are writing the rest of your life, having this love of that kind of connection, because that's a really real thing. That's impressive. Well, I think like you, I think that it can't be underestimated the power of someone early on, like identifying something in you that they see a value, whether it's you're smart enough, you should be like, why don't you try going to this school or you know what? You're good at that or keep writing or keep doing this. Like it's huge. Every, uh, so many people on the podcast are like, I had this one teacher who really believed in me. And that's like all it was. It it changed their lives. The the power of somebody believing, and this is just something I believe in completely, but the power of somebody believing you or the power of even just positive support. Mm -hmm. I mean, even, even if it's coming in the form of like, Hey, there's something that you might need to work on here, but said in this kind of positive way is something that I really, really believe in because I think, especially when you're young, you think, I think there's so much like pressure to figure out the word figure out the world. That's what we're all, right? Even since we're little babies, it's just a little learning machine that we have in our, and we're just trying to wrap our head around the world. And then again, the world gets bigger and bigger and you learn that all the problems are much more complex, but you're always kind of constantly trying to figure that out. And so especially, especially when you're young, I think there's this, this, this want to be like, okay, I've got it. I've got my handle on it. This is the way the world is. Okay. And that's can feel comforting in certain ways, but in other ways, it means you're, you're almost against changing. Mm-hmm. You're just like, Hey, I, okay. I want to say all right. And that's the beauty of when somebody comes into your life and says, hey, just for the record, this is all going to be changing all the time, but it's okay. Like you're going to do a good job with X, Y, and Z. Like it's okay to grow and change in these ways. And that kind of support can can really change the trajectory of somebody's life. Totally. Totally agree. By the way, I loved your children's book, which I read with my kids. How did you, how did you end up doing that? Like that came first. Like how did that happen? This is great. This is a great, great story. I could tell it for like an hour. I'm going to give you the quick. You have three minutes. You have three minutes. I I promise. I promise. (laughs) All right. So the book's called how to be a pirate. Uh, it's illustrated by Bridget Berger, who's this incredible illustrator out there on the West Coast. Um, and she also did Uni the Unicorn, which is every time I'm doing like a, a reading in the school and I say that, all the kids go, oh, because it's such a such an incredible book. She's such a great illustrator. Uh, but the way that book comes to be, much like we're kind of talking about here, a lot of my process is an idea just kicking around in my head forever and ever and ever. A lot of these essays, even when I was saying I don't want to write it, like these thoughts and these memories were still kicking around in my head. So How to Be a Pirate came from this place of I wanted to make a tattoo book for kids. That was it. That was the idea. And it hadn't really baked much more than that. But it had been kicking around for me in my head for years. I had a friend who had a kid who their kid called me the stamped man. Like my brother was starting to have kids and like they were like, what are these? So I just wanted to figure that out. Anyways. Much kind of to the themes that we're talking about, community, a little bit of luck, but a lot of positive support. I moved to New York City from San Francisco. Rough move. Kind of had forgotten about winter. Big mistake. (laughs) Everything was kind of hard in that moment. But then, you know, get through the winter. Next summer, I'm out in my backyard. And this is truly, I'm not talking down the block. I'm talking about two backyards. Because there was just a guy in his backyard drinking rosé. And then I'm in that the next lot in my backyard drinking rosé. We get to talking. We talk and talk and talk. Eventually, he's like, hey, why don't you just come around the block, come to the house? I walk in the house. There's kids' books everywhere. Here's the thing. The guy's name was John Sheska. It's John Sheska. He wrote The Stinky Cheese Man and other fairly rotten, fairy t- uh, other fairly stupid tales. 
you know, the true story of the big battle, like these incredible, like these nineties books that shaped my head. thing is, if you look at his name, the way it's, I just didn't know how it was ever pronounced as a kid. It's just, there's a lot of like S's, Z's and C's in there. And so like, I didn't know until I got, all of a sudden I was like, holy crap. So we become friends. I've got this idea for a kid's book, but the one thing I don't want to do is step on his toe. Like, like Mm -hmm. you meet somebody, you don't, John Cheska, everybody that meets him probably is like, I have a kid's book idea. So I waited like 30 times. I waited 30. (laughs) And then I said it kind of what I just said to you. And then he just looks me dead in the eyes and he just says, Isaac. And I go, yeah. He goes, that's a stupid idea for a kid's book. And I'm crushed. Just like, I'm like, oh no, I overstepped my boundaries. Ah, then what he says, but if you come over here every other Friday, for the rest of the summer, I will teach you how to take this like weird idea that you have that's very much an adult trying to teach a kid something, which kids don't want, idea for a kid's book, and turn it into a book that a child might actually be interested to read. Mm-hmm. And so I won't take you through everything that he taught me in that moment. That can be a story for next time. <laughs> At support and that love and that trust. And the first time I walked over there, all those kids' books I'd mentioned in his library were out there on couches, on the floor, on coffee tables. And he's like, I'm going to go to the backyard and drink some rosé, and you're going to read all these books. It was like this very karate kid style thing that happened. But he really taught me how to write a children's book. And the reason that book is so good, and the reason kids like it, is because of the incredible way that John Cheska thinks about young readers. Wow. So Well, back to somebody encouraging. I won't lie. Very proud of Dirtbag, Massachusetts, but how to be a pirate the way it connects with kids is like yeah. so much to me. I couldn't believe when I realized you were the same person. I was like, no way. Uh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that makes me very happy too. Anyway. Yeah. Well, Isaac, thank you so much for coming on. This is really fun. It was great getting to know you. So thank you. It's going to be an absolute pleasure. Talk to me about Santa Monica, the bookstore idea. Yes, I'm I will. here to help. And then hopefully next time I'm out there, we can see each other in person. Sounds good. All right. Thank okay. you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.